All right, am I on? Hello. Good morning. Are you surprised? Because I am. (laughs) Yes, I am. Uh, Well, interesting. Yes, it it has been an interesting year. It's been a hard year for many. So it is very appropriate that we enter into this Advent season and the message that Christmas brings. As this series will be known, we are desperate for Christmas this year. So this is largely like, you know, reality live TV. It's unrehearsed. Uh, Sound people, I'm going to largely follow Eric's manuscript, so I don't know if you have slides for scriptures. If not, we'll we'll just wing it. So Thank you for being family with me today. Thank you for uh, a little grace here. But uh, you know what? Holy Spirit is in this place. And I just pray that we all feel that presence. I pray that the words that he gave Eric, who passed the baton to me, uh, land in your heart, land in your, your minds this day. You know, Eric never calls me on his day off, so I should have figured something was up. You know, and I'm like, what are, why are you calling me on a Saturday? Well, I, I soon found out. So, yes, there's been much change this year. There's been much change to our rhythm, change to how we do uh, our work, uh, even our play. Everything has changed in certain ways. Even uh, the dictionary has changed. Uh, if you ever frequent or go to dictionary.com, you know they sometimes add words as culture changes, as usage changes. Well, there is a word this year inspired by COVID that they have added, and it is called doom scrolling. <clears throat> doom scrolling, like you picture on your phone, right? <clears throat> so... Doom scrolling, D-O-O-M scrolling. So I'll define it for you. It is the act of consuming an endless procession of negative online news. Consuming endless procession of negative online news. So, you know, many of us do it, including me. You know, whatever your custom is, especially in the evening, Eric describes... uh, going to bed and doing this right before he goes to sleep, which I may have to counsel him on, you know, Um, later. Me, I would be doing it on the couch, falling asleep while I should be in bed, but I'm still on the couch. But yeah, so you're scrolling through all of these things. You see that coronavirus infections are up. You see that hospitalizations are up. You see that there is more loss of life. Lockdowns are happening again. We're in a, what is it, a code red yet now. Um, Kids are learning uh, in their homes more uh, e-learning. Older kids are perhaps out of jobs. Some of us adults have been out of jobs. The economy has been stressed. And then there's politics. And I, I won't go much further with that, but except that we thought we'd already be past the election, right? or to whatever end, but no, you know, here it is, political strife. This year has been marked by racial tension, 
and hatred and a deep divide. And you keep scrolling. You know, at least Thanksgiving came, and for many of us, it probably looked a little different. Um, some of us probably weren't able to engage our families uh, the way we normally would. I was able to see, Dan and I went to see my sister, which I haven't had Thanksgiving with her in like 30 years, so that was a, that was a blessing. But I'm sure it looked different for many people, and now we are in the Advent season. Does it feel like the Advent season to you? Or does it have a taint of 2020 all over it? You know, the taint of, of COVID. Well, the Christmas season has begun. And it can be argued that doom scrolling can erode our mental health. So we stand today very much, or sit, in need of Advent. We are in desperate need of the foundational elements of Christmas, perhaps more so than any other Christmas before, at least collectively. Uh, We need to find a way to to stop doom-scrolling the doom and gloom and start scrolling for hope and peace and joy and love. And in Christ, my friends, that's very possible. We're going to talk about that today. Santa's not going to do it for us. Many of the traditional observances are not going to um, make a dent, heal that wound. So more than ever, we need to press into the truest elements of Advent. And this morning, we want to talk about one of the most powerful elements of Advent, and that element is the element of hope. Hope. Hopelessness can literally be life-threatening. But a life of hope, my friends, a life of hope in Jesus can empower us, can enrich our lives beyond measure and produce on us lives that impact the world and produce change. You know, in some corners of the world, people, you know, the thought goes that you either have it or you don't. You know, either your glass is half empty or it's half full. And I don't think really Scripture teaches that. But I want to suggest uh, that you and I, can lay hold of, we can claim and accept and affect our level of hope today. Peter talks about that in his first letter that he wrote. I don't know if that's on the screen there or if you have this. If not, I'll just read it to you. First Peter chapter 1, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil, never fade. My friends, hope is not something we just put on the shelf and stare at wistfully, but the gospel message is our hope in our life. The resurrection of Jesus is our hope this day. He lives. He's alive. Amen? Amen. So I want to look at some scriptures with you. I want to discover this together. And by the way, I have no idea how long this is either. I I never timed it. So if it's long-winded, it's Eric's fault. So um, we'll just, yeah, leave it at that and give him one more thing to be uh, ridiculed about when he returns to us. Yes. So let us read together. What we're going to look at are scriptures that instruct us in how we can grow in our hope how we can grow in hope and how we can embrace 
benefits of hope. Look with me at Psalm 33. And I'm going to read from verse 13 through verse 22. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine, not removed from, always in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. The word of the Lord. Yes. So, David does mention kind of a big miss here in Psalm 33, a significant miss on our part when it comes to hope, perhaps a a reference to human frailties, human nature, but setting our hope on the wrong things. He mentions that in verses 13 through 15, the king is going to size up his adversary and put his hope in the size or might of his army. And a soldier in that army might look to his own personal resources and rely on his own strength and training uh, and put his hope in that, or even place hope in the the strength of horses or cavalry. David says all of these things are vain. All of these things are hollow, they're fragile. At best, they're going to be temporary. But it begs the question today, What are you putting your hope in? What, if you were to admit to yourself, what are you placing your trust and your faith in? You know, we could maybe put our hope in political leaders um, or political platform or the right person or the right philosophy. We might be placing our hopes this year on science and education while we hope for a vaccine to be the cure for the planet. Not that those are bad things, but they can be misused, misapplied. Or maybe you put your hope in people, people around you, people that you trust. People can do marvelous good, but we know that that is not fail-proof either. David argues that there's only one place, only one place that is secure and not vain, and that is to place our hope in God, and specifically to place our hope in his unfailing love. We see from this psalm's passage that God is a God who watches us, who is engaged with our lives, but he's not watching just to beat us over the head, you know, like it was that game, whack-a-mole, you know. No, he's watching us out of the vast goodness of his heart, of his immense love, his unfailing love. So we want to look at three words today, three verbs, three instructions of how we, this Advent season, can grow in our hope. Can grow in our hope 
and embrace benefits of hope. Yeah, there's benefits to hope as well. So, first word, and this will come to us from well, Psalm 8, the 18th verse of our passage talks about it. The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, those who hope in his unfailing love. That word fear, walking in fear of the Lord. And we were just talking about it in Kingdom Seekers today. There are some that don't like that word fear. I would encourage you to lay, set aside that, that word fear, the word reverence. We walk in reverence of our God. The testimony of Scripture is that there's not only great power for those who, re, who walk in reverence, but there is great benefit as well. So we come to Psalm 37 and verse 34, and we're talking about true wealth here is ours from a life of hope. Psalm 37 says, hope in the Lord and keep his way. Keep his way. There's the fearing. There's the reverence. He will exalt you to inherit the land, and when the wicked are destroyed, you will see it. So what does that word inherit the land mean? What is that, what's that phrase about? It seems to me that inheriting the land, we talked about this in Sunday school this morning, is a reference to pointing us to eternity, pointing us to um, that fullness of time when we will realize the fullness of our inheritance. We will possess all the promises that God has for us. Uh, the Beatitudes and Jesus' teaching uh, speaks much the same thing, where Jesus says in Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. And, and this reminds me of the parable of the prodigal son, you know, we spend more time on the younger son, but it, this reminded me of the older son. And maybe I'm like a little more of the older son, perhaps. You know, the older son was offended, right? That the younger son came home and he'd been so wayward. He just got away with everything and now you're celebrating him. And, and you see this aside, this private conversation, you know, where the father says to him, son, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is always than yours. And that is our inheritance this day, my friends, that we will inherit the earth. We will inherit the full measure of the promises of God in our lives. So a great inheritance awaits us, and there's more. I'm looking now to Psalm 130, verse 7, where the psalmist says, Israel, or children of God, put your hope in the Lord, for the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. Full redemption. We see that progression of our hope based on God's unfailing love, the fruits of which are full redemption. We can be sure of this. Do you know that you are clean before your Lord today? Maybe somebody needed to hear that. Do you know that you have no debt before God today? That you have full pardon because of your hope in Him, because of your reverence of walking in Him. And I want to look at um, some practical example of what it means to walk in the fear of the Lord. 
Uh, it goes back to verses 13 through 15 that, uh, that we, we know that God is watching us. So as we engage our week, our day, we know that our Father is watching, and that can give us power and confidence. And I'm going to borrow Eric's stories. This is going to be a little snippet in the life of the carpenters. Okay? <clears throat> it's right here. Yes, so back in the day, and I didn't know this before until I read this yesterday, Eric was his son's soccer coach for a while. And back when Luke was little, and apparently, and Luke, you're in here somewhere, and also we're talking about you, and you can affirm this. He's over here, yeah. <clears throat> yep. So he's like seven or eight years old, I assume this is right, and he was like the smallest guy on the field. Like everybody's bigger than him. They're either bigger or they were two or three grades older than him. And yet, Eric proclaims about his son, he was fearless. He was fearless on the field. He had very much a defensive mindset, so much so that it didn't matter. You could take the biggest kid on the opposing team and you come down the field. And Eric or Luke had this way of taking that ball from him because of his quickness, because of his tenacity, stealing it away, and he frustrated the team so much, the other team, that they'd end up shoving him around, hopefully not too much, but, uh, but apparently Luke didn't even back down from that, right? No. So he demonstrated that ferocity, and you could say maybe there's a bit of competitiveness there. We would all say that our beloved Pastor Eric has a little bit of that streak going in him, little competitive streak, but it seems as though also there was something else at work. There was this notion that Luke knew that Eric was watching him, that he was watching him not to be critical, but he was watching him because he was for him, because he wanted the best for him, because he wanted him to succeed on that field and in all things. And my friends, we are called to live life like this. Our Father's eyes are on us, and He is watching us, guiding us from sin, yes, of course, but He's also filling us with courage and hope. If we pay attention, as we tackle the giants in our lives, is there a giant in your life today? Something bigger than you? And by the way, does anybody think they can handle these things on their own? Let me see a show of hands. All by yourself, like God can sit this one out? No, I'm not raising my hands for that either. But your heavenly Father knows these things are on your plate. He knows, and He's watching, and He cares, and He loves beyond measure, and He redeems. So we grow in our hope by walking in fear and reverence of the Lord and representing Him. And... Second word, second verb, second uh, instruction. We grow in our hope in God by, wait for it, by waiting. We talked about this today a little bit in Sunday school class. Yes, by waiting, by resting in God. Verse 20 says of our Psalm 33, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. It's our inclination to solve our own problems, right? We want to strategize. 
We want to scheme. We want to work harder. We want to work smarter. We want to get in touch with the right people. We want to fix it. And there's a time and place for that. But sometimes God is inviting us to do just the opposite of that. Just place it in his hands and wait. Sit back. Give him that time and space and trust in him in the midst of these things. Not because they're over. Hope comes from him. You know, I... Uh, that visual came to mind of the disciples all in the boat when the winds and the storm was raging and they're just freaking out. And what's Jesus doing? He's in the back of the boat, you know. He's sleeping. And I can't help but think he might have been a tad bit annoyed, you know, at them for waking him up to take care of that. Like, don't you know, resting in me. So what does it look like to wait on the Lord? Is that a space of passivity or is, that, is there action uh, assigned to that? I want to suggest that there are, it doesn't look like you might think it does, um, that it can be a very much a space of us actively engaging that rest, living into that rest. I want to equate a revival with the notion of trying to fall asleep. Revival is an interesting thing, and I think we would see from history that churches can't create or produce a movement of the Holy Spirit on their own, but what we must do is posture ourselves. Posture ourselves so that we can cooperate with the move of the Spirit. And so I didn't know this book existed until I read this manuscript, but I'm going to have to look it up. It's a book called Imagining the Kingdom by author James Smith. And so he likens posturing for revival to the whole notion of trying to fall asleep. So he says, I cannot choose to fall asleep. The best I can do is choose to put myself in a posture and rhythm that welcomes sleep. I lie down in bed on my left side with my knees drawn up and I close my eyes and I breathe slowly, putting my plans out of my mind, but the power of my will or consciousness stops right there. I want to go to sleep, and I've chosen to climb into bed. But in another sense, sleep is not coming, is not something under my control or under my beckoned call at all. I call up the visitation of sleep by imitating the breathing and posture of a sleeper. There's a moment when sleep comes, then finally, settling on this imitation of itself, which I have been offering to it, and I succeed in becoming what I was trying to be. And so, like sleep, this action of God in our lives is a gift to be received. And it's not always a decision that we arrive at on our own to make it so. It's a gift that requires a posture of reception. So how do we, how do we rest? How do we position ourselves in waiting? Well, we immerse ourselves in the Word. We pray. There is fasting. There is abiding in Christ. We give over to Him in those prayer closets of ours all of these things that are on our plate. The pandemic, the economy, injustice happening everywhere, racial tension, hatred, division. And for each of you, there's probably very personal things. Personal things that are different than all of that. So we give him those things in our prayer closet and we pray for revival, we pray for renewal and pray for God to 
fill us with hope and allow for that. So, we can grow in our hope this season by our reverence for God, by walking like Him. We can grow in our hope by resting, by waiting, by placing that calm assurance in His lap. And here's a third verb. So we've been revering, we've been resting, and now we're going to rejoice. You can grow in your hope by rejoicing. Did you know that? I think of uh, a sermon we had just a week or two ago where we looked at Romans uh, 12.1, offering yourselves as living sacrifices unto God, our lives as an act of worship and in how we worship. In Scripture, there is a strong connection between hope and between joy and peace. Notice this verse from the Apostle Paul in Romans 15, where he writes to the Romans, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, do you want to overflow with hope today? Anybody? Amen. It's possible. Worship, my friends, is a profound statement of trust. Worship is a proclamation of that trust. Worship in spite of. Worship in the middle of. And I shared with the kingdom seekers this morning, uh, I had preached on this some time ago. Uh, I forget what verse it was, but the, there's a Japanese translation of a verse that reads, when we praise God, he brings over a big chair and he sits there in our midst, enthroned, enthroned in our circumstances. So rejoicing. And here is a most famous passage that you will all know. Those, this is Isaiah 40. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. As you place your hope in the living God, He will give you strength for tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. Very interesting story I read here in this manuscript. Uh, there's a fellow named Alexander Solzhenitsyn. That's a Russian name. <clears throat> she wondered, he's a Russian writer who spent years in a Siberian prison. At one point, he had become completely discouraged, decided to give up and die. So his plan was just to stop working out in the field, lean on his shovel, and wait for the guards to come over and beat him to death. Oh, my. So he, he endeavors to do this. Whenever he stopped, however... Another prisoner reached over with his shovel, quickly drew a cross at his feet in the sand, and then he raced it before a guard could come over and see it. Solzhenitsyn later said that his entire being was energized by that little reminder of the hope and courage we have in Christ. He found the strength to continue because a fellow believer cared enough to remind him of our hope. And so I think today, friends, as we 
enter into the last month of this long, hard year, I think we need to draw crosses in the sand for each other. I think we need to remind one another of how good and how great our God really is. Amen? And remind each other of that hope that we have in Him. Because of His unfailing love, there is always reason to hope. And Eric says this is his favorite verse. Psalm 147, the Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. So do you want to live a life that the Lord delights in today, that he just rejoices over? Yes, well, we engage a reverence for God as we go about our days. We fear him to obey his statutes, to immerse ourselves in his word and to humbly live as his children. We grow in our hope by resting. We grow in our hope by giving God the issue and not taking it upon ourselves to try to solve. And we grow in our hope by rejoicing, by praising him, by exalting him in our circumstances. These are the ways that we grow in hope. Story has been told, and there is, I looked it up, Eric told me this on the phone last night, and then I looked it up myself. There was a point in time in history, after World War II, Winston Churchill had a meeting, met up with Billy Graham, I think sometime in the early to mid-50s, and it's told that Winston Churchill declared to Billy Graham After all that Winston Churchill had done for his England, for the world, for the West, in the face of monstrous evil, Winston Churchill confides in Billy Graham, Pastor, I'm a man of no hope. Do you maintain any hope for the world? And it is said that Billy Graham reached into his pocket where he had a New Testament. And he said, yes, Mr. Prime Minister, I... I'm a man filled with hope. And it struck such a chord that Winston Churchill even delayed other, other guests that were coming that day. He said, let him wait. He wanted to hear more of what Reverend Graham had to say. Yet there are those of us who have lived this way thinking that hope probably is for somebody else. That hope is just Uh, something long ago or for other people or it belongs in a galaxy far, far away. Had to get in a Star Wars reference for Eric. Yes. But there is a counterculture led by Jesus that is subverting this notion that as we place our trust in his unfailing love, that he is going to meet us in that trust. He lives this day, my friend, and because he lives, we are alive. We are fully alive today, and we can place our hope and our trust in him. This pandemic won't last forever. God is on the throne, and he cares, and he loves us deeply. So I dare, dare to hope this day. Dare to hope for whatever the situation is on your plate. Because Jesus is alive, 
and he's on the throne. And he came to redeem and to restore all things. So in Christ, your hope is certain. All right, worship team. I don't know how long that was, but I'm done. <laughs> so. <laughs> I do have a benediction, if that works. What? A benediction. Oh.